He is our shutdown corner. He is the football theorist. Blackstradamus, you have a big pick on the Super Bowl coming up today. He is uh, the proud papa of Baby Monroe. Baby Monroe. What is up, Rod Babers? I'm doing great. Uh, appreciate the hospitality. Also appreciate the intro, as always. Uh, before we get started on a Friday, uh, shout out to those who serve. Our society built on the selflessness of service. So all of those out there who are putting in God's work, whether it be with God, country, or community, we appreciate it. We know it's an honor, but also a burden. So we appreciate each and every one of you, the soldiers, first responders, teachers, nurses, uh, each and every profession, and all of you, you people we can name you all but just want you to know each and every morning we have to say thank you it's the least that we could do least that we could do no doubt about it and thank you very very much as you get up and uh, get after a lot of folks will be the end of their work week for a lot of first responders this uh, they'll work this weekend as well and we appreciate mm. them uh, getting this thing going and uh, uh, busy night did watch the uh, and took in the NFL honors last night the NFL does it up right with the big uh, red carpet and extravaganza right. and all the awards and um, you know, I thought it was pretty well well presented. They they, they get it all knocked in, in in two hours. You know, eight to ten. It was over by ten o'clock. You could uh, roll into bed after they handed out the uh, the Walter Payton Man of the Year. Uh, I thought, uh, as usual, the NFL puts on a pretty good TV show. Uh, when they need mm-hmm. to, you know what I'm saying? That's exactly right. Yeah, and uh, the Texans end up getting Rookie of the Year for the offense and the defense. That's the second year the Jets did that uh, Jets not too did long it, ago. Yeah, just last year, uh, Sauce Gardner yeah. and uh, and Lake Travis's Gar- own Gary Wilson. Wilson. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that, this, and I don't. They don't give out Executive of the Year at that awards, but there is an Executive of the Year, and it would seem that right now Nick Casario has got to be the front runner and leader for that if they haven't already given it out. I haven't seen any well, if you draft headlines and, about it. If you it. draft and then make a trade to draft the, the rookies of the year on both sides of the ball. You got to, right? It's and, automatic. And you hire a coach who ends up one vote shy of being the coach of the year. D'Amico Ryans came in mm. one first-place vote behind Kevin Stefanski yeah. of the Cleveland Browns. So, yeah, if you hire the coach of the year, essentially, because, you know, I know the, the hardware went to Kevin Stefanski, but we saw the playoff game. Yeah. That wasn't close. I mean, D'Amico Ryan's team uh, ran circles around the Browns down at the NRG Stadium. So, but know, the voting was already in by then. Voting was in by but then. But I, I, my contention was even at the end of the season, and that's officially when the vote is done, that's the deadline, you still could have argued D'Amico Ryan should win it because they still won the division, right? They did win the division. They won the division and, and, made the, and made the playoffs. That alone, if you look at it, you could still say because there's a first. And we're the four seed, for crying out loud. Yeah, it's the first rookie head coach, rookie quarterback pairing to, to win the division and make the postseason in the NFL in 100 years, guys. Yeah. Remember, it was like George Hallis, his like first year. Remember, I went back and did the research on that. I'm telling you, man, it's – I don't know how they – you still could have get, made a really good case for D'Amico winning, but you're right, oh, he was only one vote shot. One – I mean, I mean, the voting yeah. could have been closer. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty, pretty much neck and neck. Stefanski, four different starting quarterbacks, you know, 25% of your roster on IR. That's pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. That's yeah, well, let's – uh, before we get too deep into the conversation, Rod will have us behind the burn orange curtain coming up this hour. We've got a lot to do. Let's start with the headlines, trending topics. We get you caught up on all the NFL honors from last night and that Pro Football Hall of Fame class. And the Cowboys have found their new defensive coordinator appears. Let's get to all of it. Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment bring you the top news. And, uh, yeah, the NFL recognized the top players, coaches, and moments of the 2023 season last night in Vegas ahead of this Sunday's Super Bowl. They call it the NFL Honors. Baltimore quarterback Lamar Jackson claimed the most prestigious award of the night, the uh, MVP for the second time. Uh, Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott finished a distant second in the voting, but he did finish number two. 49ers running back Christian McCaffrey was named the league's offensive player of the year. Cleveland Browns defensive end, the former Texas A&M star Miles Garrett, named the league's best defensive player 
for 20 and 23. Houston Texans, as Rod said, swept the Rookie of the Year category. Their star quarterback, C.J. Stroud, claimed Offensive Rookie of the Year honors. Defensive end Will Anderson, third pick of the draft, named the Defensive Rookie of the Year. As I mentioned, Houston's first-year coach, D'Amico Ryan, came up one vote shy of winning Coach of the Year. That went to Kevin Stefanski of the Browns for the second time. Browns quarterback Joe Flacco also named the Comeback Player of the Year ahead of Lake Travis's Baker Mayfield. And in, in Pittsburgh, uh, their defensive lineman Cameron Hayward capped off the night when he was named the Walter Payton Man of the Year. That is considered the league's highest honor, acknowledging a player for his outstanding community service off the field as well as his outstanding play on it. Also last night, 2024 Pro Football Hall of Fame class revealed the seven-player class includes a lifetime Longhorn legend and for the first time ever, a Houston Texan, former Longhorn defensive tackle Steve McMichael is Hall of Fame bound. McMichael started at Texas from 1976 through 1979 ahead of a 15-year NFL career. Mongo, a stalwart on the dominating Chicago Bears defenses of the 80s. Um, his wife, Misty, stood in for him last night as the 66-year-old continues his battle with ALS. Andre Johnson, the greatest offensive player in Houston Texans history, is Hall of Fame bound. Uh, they will be inducted on August the 3rd in Canton, Ohio, along with um, Julius Peppers, Dwight Freeney, Patrick Willis, Devin Hester, and Randy Gratishar. In NFL coaching news, according to the NFL Network's Tom Pelissero, the Dallas Cowboys are expected to hire Mike Zimmer to be their new defensive coordinator, replacing Dan Quinn. The 67-year-old former Minnesota Vikings head coach, long been respected for his defensive prowess. Uh, Zimmer coached in Dallas for 12 years from 1994 through 2006. In college football, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter, Michigan is planning to hire former New York Giants defensive coordinator Wink Martindale to be their new defensive coordinator. Martindale will replace Jesse Minter, who followed Jim Harbaugh at L.A. to be the Chargers. DC and in baseball, Texas Rangers avoided salary arbitration and a hearing with their star outfitter Adolis Garcia. The two sides instead have agreed on a new two-year contract. Basically, the start of Lamar Jackson's career is similar to the start of Peyton Manning's career, kind of. Where you win these awards, right? These accolades, but the postseason success eludes you. Um, and obviously, Peyton Manning got it later on. Um, but at least for the start of his career, that's what's happening with Lamar Jackson. It's a different, obviously, arc. He's a different athlete, different skill skill set and everything. But in terms of just the, the right now, the biggest, the narrative, all right, the, the, thing, the biggest thing working against him, the negative narrative is can't win in the postseason, but in the regular season, they're one of the greatest QBs in the history of the NFL. But regular season play. Um, and Lamar Jackson's got to fix that. John Harbaugh's got to fix that. John Harbaugh's got to fix it. That's exactly right. But you're right about that. Two MVPs by 26, 27 years old. Uh, A lot of on-field regular season success, but uh, January success has eluded Lamar Jackson. Uh, and that's going to be the challenge. But you're right. That's we 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 think of Peyton Manning's Hall of Fame career. We yeah. forget that there was a uh, you know some bumps in the road. Oh, early. Yeah. I remember when it's like, oh, he can't he can't win. And then his and then his rival ended up being the goat, Tom Brady. Yes. So that didn't help. Uh, so well, remember Peyton Manning came in as someone who couldn't win the big one at Tennessee. Great point. If you remember, yeah, right? Yeah, you think about that. You're right. Couldn't get over the. It was T. Martin who won it, right? Yeah, T. Martin won. Like like insult to injury for Peyton Manning. Uh, he moves on after four years at Tennessee, and then they win it the next year with Philip Fulmer. Yeah, a lot of people Martin. just assumed that it was Peyton. It was like, no, no, no it wasn't Peyton. Yeah. Well, and, and and remember, he, he, if you go back, Peyton specifically came back to try to win a Heisman Trophy, which he didn't do, and then beat Florida. Charles, Steve Charles Woodson? That's yeah, Charles Woodson. Charles Woodson, Charles Woodson Heisman. Heisman. Yeah. yeah, that was a great Heisman fight. There's a really now. great 30 for 30 on that. Yeah. Uh, Peyton Manning yeah. coming back, and he didn't accomplish either, right? He didn't, he didn't win the Heisman. They didn't beat Florida. Steve Spurrier and company beat him, and he didn't win the national championship. And then, as you said, yeah, I mean, that was a big narrative because he, he – then he won MVPs and put up huge numbers but uh, couldn't win in January mm-hmm. until later in his career, obviously, then yeah. won 
Speaking of uh, of the when he finally won one was the year that uh, the Colts beat the Bears. Devin Hester returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown. This. Yes, in a rain in a rainy Super Bowl. Mm. Very few rainy Gross Super Bowls. Grossman is the quarterback. Rex Grossman, yeah, wow. Grossman, <laughs> yeah, Rex Grossman, yeah. former Florida quarterback, yeah. was against him, and that was one of the sloppier it Super was. Bowls. But uh, Tony Dungy and the Colts finally got them a Super Bowl, and Peyton Manning That's, won it. And, it's kind of what it reminds me of because the Lamar Jackson, he's got Patrick Mahomes to deal with, just like. You know, Tom Brady ended up being the, you know, the really kind of the, the, the icon, um, the kind of the, po- the postseason success. He enjoyed the postseason success as a iconic quarterback early, way before Peyton Manning. And Peyton Manning had to live in that shadow, which is crazy because he's a Manning. And Lamar Jackson's going to have to do that with Patrick Mahomes. At one point, he's going to have to vanquish Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And to, to win a championship. That's, That's exactly the only way right. to do it. It certainly is. It's the only way it's going to have to happen. Yeah, well, because remember, again, the Peyton came into this NFL, Peyton Manning with the knock, can't win the big game. Yeah. And then Tom Brady. A young Tom Brady. Won it as a sixth-round draft pick. <laughs> right. And then he's winning Super Bowls. And I was like, what's wrong with Manning? It's, you know, the, we, I think we sit here and we assume at some point Lamar Jackson has a, a real strong chance to break through. We do, but. And play in a Super Bowl. Do we have the same opinion of Dak Prescott, who finished second for the MVP, that Dak Prescott's going to, after eight years in the league, going to break through and have January success, or we've kind of given up on that? Uh, uh, yeah, well, they better have hope because they're about to sign him to an extension. So I know. That, that hope better exists that you believe Dak can take you to the promised land. And do I believe it? I can't believe it right now because you know, I, I haven't seen any evidence of it, uh, that Dak can do that at the next level. Um, and I think Dak is a good quarterback. I'm not a Dak hater, but I don't know if Dak – in the postseason when the – basically this is kind of what, you know, Shannon describes. Kyle Shannon talks about with quarterbacks too. At one point, you, you will not have a schematic advantage. Within a play or within a series, whatever, there are going to be some plays where you don't have a schematic advantage. The coach didn't prepare you for that play. <laughs> you uh, – the, the defense well, – it was a great defensive call. They had the perfect coverage called. Or they had the perfect pressure package called. All right. You know, your guys miss a block the wide receiver runs the wrong way, whatever it may be, and you're just going to have to go out there and solve a problem and make a play yeah. as a quarterback. And oftentimes I don't see Dak doing that enough when he's going up against you know, the elite of the elite, which is in the playoffs, and that's, that's a big part of it is that I don't know if Dak has, he has done it. I don't know. This year, though, I will say during the regular season, he played his best football, so in his new offense, maybe he will take the next step. That is the hope. Um, but he hasn't done it yet against that elite competition. And it does look like the Cowboys are going to hire Mike Zimmer to be the defensive coordinator. That's been our pick since Monday. It does feel like the most uh, – feels like the right pick, as you said. He's the most current. The most current coach. He yeah. just finished – he wrapped up his career as a head coach in Minnesota in, you know, two years ago, or 2021. So that'll be three years ago. But he stayed close to the game. And, look, I mean, to work in Dallas, you got to know Jerry Jones and have familiarity with how that operation runs, yeah. unfortunately. But, yeah, he was in Dallas from 1994 through 2006. I didn't realize until I looked this morning. That's how long he was there. He was there with Jimmy Johnson. It's a long time. with Jimmy Johnson. So he spent mm-hmm. a dozen years uh, in Dallas and actually coached through many coaching changes. If you think about that, 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 that lifespan in yeah. Dallas, tw- 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 you know, 1994 was That's when Jimmy point. Johnson was out. Yeah. And so Jerry Jones has a really high opinion of Mike Zimmer because he kept him all around mm-hmm. through the hiring of Chan Gailey and Barry yep. Switzer and, you know, Dave Campo and then even Bill Parcells. 
all the way through three South and his star rose and he ended up uh, going on to being a head coach. Yeah. No, he's a, I think he is the best uh the best candidate to choose of the ones they interviewed. I mean, I think it was Ron Rivera was in that that category that that was um I think there was rumors that even Mike Vrabel was considered as well. Um and he may I, be... I never saw that they actually interviewed Vrabel. I okay. don't know if Vrabel even took an interview. Okay. I don't know how that worked. Maybe they yeah. wanted to talk to him. He didn't. Well Rex Ryan I know was Rex Ryan. they threw out there too. But a lot of the names that had come up had been names that I think guys who had whose systems weren't as current as Zimmer's. And Zimmer's, like you said, just three years ago, he's coaching. His defenses are going up against some of the modern offenses. So at least you have something to compare it with. And I think that was important. And especially having something to compare it with, with you know, the, the offense that are taking over. I imagine a lot of it was against the Mick Shanahan coaching tree. Like, how did he do against that coaching tree? Because that's the coaching tree that's knocked you out of the playoffs the last three years. So you got to figure that out too, <laughs> and I think I think defensively you gonna look at if you look at some of the sample sizes, his defense has fared pretty well versus the Nick Shanahan coaching tree too. Yeah, and so uh, obviously it's Mike McCarthy as the head coach and in charge of the offense. Mike Zimmer will now take over the defense, and as we've talked about the in- incestuous nature of that division now. Mm. With Kellen Moore now <laughs> coaching the offense in Philadelphia. Dan Quinn's now the head coach in Washington in your own division. And he's brought over the defensive coordinator, Joe Witt Jr. And um, you know, Cliff Kingsbury now in the division. It makes for a lot of interesting uh, conversation in the next year because the Cowboys won the division this past year. Yep. Can they do it again? That will be the challenge going into 2024 season. I would also say it was a great night for, uh, you know, you and I are suffering Houston Texans fans. You know, we don't have a lot to cheer for in 22 years of an existence. Last night was pretty cool to have the first ever Hall of Famer uh, in Andre Johnson. I didn't, I didn't know if he would get in. Andre, as you said, you know, they didn't play for, for championships while he was there. He put up huge numbers, seven times, times a, an all-pro, led the NFL in receiving yards three different times. He's one of the more physical, one of the more gifted receivers you'll ever see. And he's of your uh, era, Rod. I mean, he, mm-hmm. was, yeah. he was in Miami when you were at Texas. Yep. And uh, he was a dude. I mean, that dude was – I mean, a beast. I, I always tried to tell him, like, I always tried to say, man, Andre Johnson is 225 pounds, y'all. When they throw him the ball, he's like Adrian Peterson getting the ball in space out there. This guy's unbelievable. Hard to bring down. Well, like, he, was, he was Debo Samuel before there was Debo Samuel, and he was even yeah. tougher than that dude. Yeah. No, no, he was uh, – now, he was an elite receiver, and the best thing about it, or at least the most fascinating thing about it, was that he did it without an elite quarterback, without a good quarterback for most of his years. Matt Schaub. Just, he had Schaub job. That was the best quarterback, best quarterback he had. Yeah, that's, but, that's like not, – that's not saying a ton. He was a good no, quarterback. No, Matt Schaub was a good quarterback, but that System was the player. best quarterback that he had, and yet he would put up these unbelievable numbers. DeAndre Hopkins had to do it after that's kind of the curse of being the number one receiver with the Texans. Uh, but there's no doubt. I was uh, the, the the thing that concerned me about his candidacy for the Hall of Fame was he didn't have a lot of touchdowns. He's his receiving touchdowns. He's like I don't know 50 or 60 or something all time. Um, but receptions. Uh, receiving yards per game. Uh, if you go look at um, um, overall, like uh, 100 receiving yards, I think he's in the top 20 of all like all the other kind of major categories all time. And on receptions, I think he's 11th or something like that. Uh, receiving yards per game, he's 11th. So he he's he's really statistically, I think he's statistically he's worthy of it. But the touchdowns usually they put a lot of you know emphasis on playoffs and touchdowns with receivers, and they didn't do that with him. So somebody argued his case really well. 
uh, I think I think it was John McClain. Somebody argued his case really well. Well, and he's one of those guys that yeah, stats are one thing, but he he passes the eye test. When that's you what I'm watch, saying. It's, when you it, watched yeah. Andre Johnson uh, over his career, you're like that. That's a hall of fame. Was he the best receiver in the game for three or four? Yeah, he years. led the NFL in receiving yards four, three times. Yeah, yeah, so that's I think that's the case they made. It was like, man, he was the best receiver in the game for like a five year stretch in the NFL. The NFL has only been around for he, so he, many years, and for five years, he still was the best receiver in the game. He can't control what team he's on, who what quarterback. They have yeah. right. I mean, yeah. you can only do what you can do with what you got. So I think that was the argument. Yeah, but hey, I'm happy you made it. Uh, me too. Yeah, uh, and you know, to have the rookie, the rookies of the year, the, the dang near coach of the year, mm-hmm. a lot to like about the direction down in Houston, without a doubt, with C.J. Stroud and um, you know, Will Anderson. Both made nice speeches, and then uh, D'Amico, just a, a vote shy of the uh, the hall, and also for for Longhorn fans, lifetime Longhorn Steve McMichael. Going into the Hall of Fame, bam, you know, his bam. wife, Misty, has been lobbying for the 66-year-old to get the call and uh, get on that veteran's vote and uh, uh, finally did. And the hope is he will be with us when they enshrine the, the class in, in, in August of twenty of this year, or early August, August 3rd in Canton, Ohio. I mean, he's battling the ALS, and you yeah. just never know. I mean, he's uh, – we, we had heard even during the football season that he was not doing, doing well. well. Yeah. And fighting uh, because having I mean, that that ALS is just oh, it's it's, uh, it's it's just tra- tra- brutal to watch brutal to watch a loved one have to go oh. through that and that's the way they go because you 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 don't lose your faculties right yeah. your your brain your mind stay yeah. as sharp as they were and just your body just your muscles and yeah. your body deteriorates and it's just uh, I mean I don't know you, you, we can debate whether losing your mind versus keeping your mind as you deteriorate or better or worse. I don't know, but uh, both seem horrible, and you, you root for him. But but good for, I, I believe, I, CB told me there were six Longhorns in the Hall of Fame. I count five. five. Well, now Mongo, the six, fifth. maybe. Oh, he's the fifth. He's the fifth. Okay. Um, you got Tom Landry, Earl Tom, Campbell. Um, um, who's the other? Billy, oh, the, the DB. He's a DB. Uh, I can't remember the DB's name. Uh, he, old school. Old school. Yeah, yeah, it's old school. It's old school DBU. Well, I mean, something. and Steve McMichael, when he goes in, will be the first since Earl Campbell, Hall of Famer for the long. That's ones. a long time. Yes, that is a long time. That's a long time. Um, you know, you're talking about, uh, you, you know, he went in in the, you know, in the in the in the 90s, but uh, you know, that's been a been a bit since the Longhorns have had a Hall of Famer uh, go in, and that'll be Steve McMichael, who also, as you're a wrestling fan, he went on to be a wrestler after his NFL career. If oh you yeah, remember. man, he's a larger than life <laughs> personality. He, he really was. was. Um, I mean, larger than life, he really was. So I'm happy for his family. I'm happy for him, too. Um, I know that meant a lot to them. Yep, it did. Yeah. Uh, and so that'll be that's going to be the hope, that he can make it to uh, to August. And there, there's we'll hear from his wife, Misty, coming up. Uh, we'll also uh, hear some, some of the highlights from last night as the, uh, the honors went on and the NFL now looks forward to the Super Bowl as we'll you know, drill down on that game again today to get you ready Bobby for the Chiefs. Bobby Dillon. Bobby Dillon. Yeah, Bobby Lane, name. Bobby Dillon, Tom yeah. Landry, Steve McMichael now. Okay. And uh, Oh, okay. Tex Schramm. That's the one. Do you Tex can... Schramm. That's who we didn't put in there. Tex Schramm and Tom Landry. See? Why don't we – don't get me started. Tex Schramm, we don't celebrate him either. Enough. It doesn't feel like the, uh, yeah, the, the, the university and the athletic department celebrate those two – Enough. They're, That's those crazy. Are, I mean, Tex Schramm and, and Tom Landry were the architects and the coach of America's team. They are among the most. They're among the most impactful, influential NFL minds in the history of the game. Period. Like when you tell the story of the game, you have to talk about Tex Schramm and Tom Change Landry. Change the game. You have to talk about them when you talk about the history of the game. And yet, for some reason, they're both Texas grads, lifetime Longhorns, and we don't celebrate. It's weird. 
It's just strange. Well, and, you know, he, he played, won an Orange Bowl, won a Sugar Bowl, you know, fought in the war, got shot down, still came back to school. And there, if you go down to UT, there's really nothing that would ever <laughs> let you know that Tom Landry played at Texas. Like, uh, seems like a guy worthy of celebrating. This is weird. He is Tom Landry. It is strange. I yean, yeah, just from the football perspective, you're talking about other stuff, too. I mean, it's all well, types yeah, of reasons. Yeah, Tom Landry is like, you know, revolutionized coaching. The way he, you know, he uh, changed the game. Yeah. Uh, but either it's way, like Texas Ram, uh, front offices, how you operate. Yeah. And along with Gil Brandt, the late Gil Brandt was honored yeah. last night in the, uh, the memoriam segment, which I thought was pretty well done if you watched last night. Um, those three. Tex Ramp is the one that famously said, one day we'll just play this game in a studio. We'll just, it'll just be a, it's a TV show because he's basically hinting that it was a TV show. Yeah. So one day we'll just do it in a, in a studio one day. It'll just be a big studio. And essentially the way these stadiums are built, they're just big studios now. <laughs> the way you can have the cameras and all the camera oh, yeah, angles yeah, yeah, and everything. Yeah. That's all they are. Well, the That's Super Bowl can have 165 cameras. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they want the, the crowd. Oh, guys, that, that's, for the, that's, for the, that's for the show. The crowd, you need the crowd there for the show. It's like the old laugh tracks back in the day. You need the crowd there. That's part of it. Yeah. It's a TV show, and Tech Tran was the first one to acknowledge it, that this is what it is, guys. That was way before they were going to make it the, the, the dominant TV product it is today. It certainly is. Well, And, yeah, so those are all lifetime Longhorns, six now, but the first since Earl Campbell uh, going into the Hall of Fame. So props to Mongo, props to the Texans, and props to the entire class because it's a good class. I mean, Julius Peppers out of North Carolina was a hell of a pass rusher. Should have been. Here's a little trivia on that. Speaking of the Texans, Julius Peppers should have been the first ever pick of the Houston Texans. Instead, mm. they drafted David Carr with the first oh. pick in the history of the organization because they yeah. wanted to force quarterback. And they that. didn't take the best player on the board. They took a quarterback from Fresno State who mm-hmm. got his head kicked in for about yeah. five or six years. Still holds the record for being the most sat quarterback <laughs> in, in one NFL season. Yeah, Julius Peppers he, should have been the call there. That, but, that uh, you know, can't yeah, get them all right. And you had two Hall of Famers. Yes, Dwight. One in the same, <laughs> yeah, that's right. in the same year. Come Dwight, on. Dwight Freeney, of course, uh, Patrick Willis, Devin Hester. That's one. I mean, that's a unicorn because that'll, that'll never happen again. Uh, I don't think. No, because the return game is just not as important as it used to be. No, I mean, I mean, they don't return kicks anymore. Yeah, exactly. They I mean, don't Devin, want you to. I mean, Devin, Kicker, Devin Hester was a weapon. I mean, he returned a kickoff for, in the Super Bowl for a touchdown. He was so good. <laughs> he was so rad. He was, he was he, drafted as a kick returner. You expected him to return it damn near every time he got it. He was, he was unbelievable. Yeah, well, I, he had to go in. Well, I will tell you, we'll get a timeout and come back. Rod will take us behind the uh, UT burn orange curtain. Uh, talk some Texas football and other conversations. We'll also get into your college football or college basketball weekend with the Longhorns uh, and, and men and women. Uh, we'll get into all that. But also, I'll tell you, the NFL is flirting with changing the kickoff rules. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that there is a, uh, according to Roger Goodell this week in Vegas, there is a, a, a chance or maybe a good chance that the rule has changed. And we'll tell you what they may be going to. And that is, in, um, you know, as we talk about Devin Hester and the fact that you know, they, they've limited kickoffs because of concussions, but at the same time, it's still, you know, the NFL's big. It's speaking of that TV show, Rod. The NFL's big on, on having plays that aren't important. They don't want plays that people don't want to watch, yeah. right? That's why they tried to make the extra point even more exciting. So we'll talk about that coming up. We'll also go behind the burn orange curtain. We'll get some what the facts before the end of our first hour of our five-hour Friday morning conversation. It's a football Friday for the final time in 2023-24, unfortunately, getting you ready for the Super Bowl. And hook them up with Ian Rodby. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Austin, Texas, Sports, The Horn. Friday on The Horn, 9 February, and a lot going on, NFL honors, a lot of honors last night, red carpet event in Vegas, 
I don't know, Ron. I got to tell you, I mean, uh, I know they can't have every event in, in Vegas, but I went to the NFL draft in Vegas a few years ago and came home thinking, man, this should be there every year. It's so much, it's so much going on. Last night watching this NFL honors, I mean, they have all the – I mean, they started with Cirque du Soleil. Mm-hmm. Penn and Teller came out. They had all kinds – I mean, just to have that much entertainment in one place is incredible, and you can tap into it. Uh, it was pretty cool. I thought it was a, a well-done two hours of TV last night uh, to honor the NFL's best players and best performances of the year. Well, and they – you know, the NFL is in Vegas every year now. <laughs> That's the whole point. Yeah, the, the team there now. <laughs> that, they, they had the same idea. They're like, yeah, we need to be in Vegas. And every other league around the country had the same idea too because they all came at the same time within like a, what, a four- or five year period everybody went to vegas well and that's where sudden ungrata at one point now i was like uh, we need to be in vegas now that they've embraced the gambling part of it yeah. because as, as roger goodell said on monday it's it's not a gambling town it's an entertainment town yeah, yeah there you go flipping the narrative right there but i, I can tell you that in the nba they're gonna i mean that's their next expansion i guarantee 100 and lebron wants to own the team there yep but i uh, you know just having been there for the draft and i'm a draft junkie i love the draft year by year following the mock drafts and combine coming up the end of the month and who goes where i've always said the the growth of the nfl draft is not surprising to me because it's the i mean the two passions in this country are football college and pro right mm-hmm. depending on what you're yeah. if you live in austin texas and have grown up in austin you're probably a college football fan but you even follow the nfl draft because you may not even like the nfl but yep. you're going to watch the draft because where are my where are my longhorns going mm-hmm. um and that's that's the confluence of uh, the nfl's in the nfl and college football coming together through this whole draft process of um, you know, who's going where. But being at the draft and just, you know, loving I, – I, you know, as a draft junkie, I think I'm just going to go love the draft. Well, you're – now you're at the draft and you're in Vegas. Yeah. So the draft's in the, in the evening. <laughs> you know, I mean, Thursday night's the first round. You're, you're done by 9 o'clock, and now you're in Vegas. I know. No, you're right. I mean, I mean let's just go over here. Let's go over to MGM. Let's do, yeah. we'll do this. And so and, – and that – there were fans from every, every jersey. Uh, every team was represented. It was really cool. And then there's just so much to do. Because if you're, if you're having the draft in Kansas City – you know, you go to the draft, and then you go back to your hotel, grab dinner, and go to bed. Yeah. In Vegas, you're in Vegas. You're in and Vegas. you just kind of keep rolling. That is true. It's, uh, it was a lot of fun. But uh, last night seemed like kind of the same thing, and uh, pretty cool. As for, we were talking about Devin Hester into the hall, Ron, uh, and the NFL may be looking oh. to change the rule. This is interesting. The NFL always evolving. They don't hesitate to make a change. Uh, so before last season, the NFL, one of the reasons kickoffs have been, you know, kind of eliminated from the game. Yeah, they moved it. It was because their research discovered that a high majority of concussions yeah. were happening on the kickoff. Still the most violent play. Even if you don't even return it, just the guys who go down to cover it, like Rod B, I still got to get contact with the other guy yeah, You've got there. big humans running, running full speed. Yeah, it's car and, crashes. And, and slamming into people. They're car crashes. Little mini you, I mean, car full crashes. head of speed. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, know, you, you make hits on every play, but you know, there's six or seven yard bursts of, of yeah. energy, right? Exactly. Uh, and you know, we yeah, kick off, you're, you're yeah. going full speed and yep. then slamming into someone. So yeah. they, they, obviously a lot of concussions were happening there, the wedge buster or whatnot. So they, they, to make the game safer, they eliminated essentially the kickoff. Well, now, according to... A lot of reporting, and then Roger Goodell didn't deny it this week at his State of the uh, League news conference. They are studying the XFL's low-impact kickoff that the XFL uh, ran with, which is, uh, you know, the, the, the idea is to mm-hmm. – you don't have the, the, the high-intensity collision, but you still have kickoffs. Yeah, so because I, I, if, if I'm not mistaken, they basically can't they, – they they're close together. Yeah, the XFL one. rules requires the, ten the, players on each the, team to line up five yards apart. Yeah, they're closer together, so you don't have the high impact car crash collisions because they're so close together. Right. Yeah. Uh, so ten players on each team line up five yards apart. Yeah. And only the kicker and the returner are permitted to line up elsewhere. Exactly. And then they kick it off, and 
you know, the, the extra. You, you engage, but you don't. You don't slam into each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you get to engage, but you don't have that collision. Because you're right, man. You, when I got a 20, 30 yard head start, and, I, and my coach is like, all right, I need you to, you know, slam. I need you to, you know, set, set, the, uh, set the edge here. All right, babers. Now you just come across that edge hardcore. And that other guy is, he is taught to sink, to drop, and then once he gets his kind of anchor wherever they tell him to anchor, which could be, you know, what a yard line, whatever, 40-yard line, 30-yard line, whatever. Um, he, is, he is taught to anchor and then go, go right, make a beeline right at me, <laughs> his target. And then we're supposed to meet. Like, that's, <laughs> that is the play. We're supposed to meet there and engage. And, yeah, it's just a, it's a car crash. I got my, one of my injuries on kickoffs, Did one you? of my shoulder injuries, yeah. I mean, it's, special teams are easily the most violent of the plays, in my opinion. Even the covering those punt can be violent. I was a gunner. The guy running down, those can be violent too. Really violent, especially if the, the punter is not savvy enough to fair catch it all the time. Yeah, so the XFL rule still keeps the kickoffs, but as you just said, the players don't get to a full sprint. There are fewer high-speed collisions and standard kickoffs. And fans who watch the XFL games generally enjoyed the rule because it did result in more kickoff returns and excitement and Devin Hester kind of thing. Uh, we'll see. They, they are going to flirt with, uh, you know, with the rules committee and the competition committee this offseason and, and maybe exploring it because, you know, the, the kickoff has become a rule, a play you don't even watch. No, you go take a bathroom break. Yeah. Go get some snacks or something. Yeah, I agree with that. You just assume nobody's going to make a play on it because nobody returns them. Well, and good, good for the NFL. They're never shy about uh, trying to change a rule that makes the game and the TV show more exciting um, because – and I still have always said the I like the XFL's extra point rule where you oh yeah you know you can kick a long I mean they've moved the extra point back but they've got the uh, you can get a you know you kick it and get a point you can get two points you can get three points you yep. get five points mm-hmm. if you Depending back you it up move it back yeah yeah that I mean I, that would obviously I don't know if gamblers would like that because that so so drastically changes point spreads but I mean the, the the risk reward think about Dan Campbell think about Dan Campbell of the of the Detroit Lions if you can get a yep. five point extra point no I love that You'd idea doing it all the time the NFL just don't they don't want wasted plays uh, and I think they should pursue this to be a I think a step in the right direction because the kicking game is becoming less and less important yeah. I mean it's actually at this point now even punters because uh, teams are going for it on fourth down more that's exactly so right punters they don't they don't punt as much as they used to because teams are going for it on fourth down more uh, I'm with you I think they, the NFL should pursue it uh, to just bring the kicking game back the nuance of the game the game need, needs more nuance it does yeah uh, and, and and look it's the third phase of the game right yeah. I mean, we've been taught and you played on it Rod your whole life is offense, defense, and special teams, and special teams are being less than, are being minimized more and more at the highest yeah. level, which will okay. trickle down. Um, but you need to, to bring it back, and Devin Hester going into the Hall of Fame brings it right front and yeah. center because that, that will likely never happen again unless some unless yeah Devin yeah you're right because you and I grew up with Billy White Shoes Johnson. Uh, oh, returning man. kicks for the te- – I mean, Dion was returning Dion kicks, was man. Dion was the man. I, just, I just love that. Oh. And, I, and I think it's, it's interesting because I do believe if they institute this rule – you'll start seeing teams start putting their best athletes back at kickoff return because they'll know they'll have a chance to break it big or get favorable uh, field position. Score points. So they'll be like, oh, you know what, no, we're putting our, some of our best athletes back there. We want some explosive guys. Or they'll start prioritizing that when they build their roster again. Oh, no, I want a guy that can return kicks. They still do, but it's, it, it used to be a real asset for you in terms of making a squad. I don't know if it means as much as it used to because they just don't return the game as much. So I think, that's, I think it's really good. I think it's really good. All right. That's let's uh, take your thoughts on that. Text line is open, 512-447-3776. Top story so far, both uh, uh, offensive and rookie, offensive and defensive rookies of the year, Houston Texans, C.J. Stroud hey. and Will Anderson. 
Uh, Dak Prescott finishes second in MVP. That goes to Lamar Jackson, and the Cowboys have found their new. Yeah, he's definitely gonna get a contract extension, guys. Zimmer, yeah. If he's second MVP voting, nobody. I know that Jerry's playing these mind games with y'all, gaslighting y'all. He was second in the MVP voting, guys. He's about to get paid. Y'all ain't moving on from Dak Prescott. Yeah. That ain't ha- even though Jerry wants everybody to think that, that's not happening. They have a new D.C., though, in Mike Zimmer. Let's go behind the burn orange curtain, a little Texas football chatter. And they were all asking themselves the same question. What is behind Hey, Brock, I sent you a clip. All right, I want to talk about uh, Sark's admiration for actually the, uh, the, the Mech Shanahan coaching tree a little bit and the influences that it's actually had on his offense, the ones that we watch uh, here at Texas, because, you know, Sark's been really open about how close they are. He's been really open about how influential uh, that coaching tree is on his offense. And there are some commonalities, some things that are key, vital concepts, principles of the Shanahan offense that Sark takes to heart. Um, and one of them is uh, pre-snap motion, right? Pre-snap motion is big in the in the Shanahan offense. It's actually one of the, the key staples. And after following Shanahan in Atlanta, Sark started to implement a lot of pre-snap motion in his offense. Now the numbers are ridiculous. I mean, Sark is probably around 55, maybe 50, between 55 and 60% pre-snap motion rate, which is actually below considering the guys on the Shanahan coaching tree. I mean, they are, hell, uh, Miami is Mike McDaniel's at 82%. Uh, Sean McVay's at 70%. Um, hell, Shano's around 70 something percent. You know, my, my, uh, Matt LaFleur is at 64%. I mean, th- these guys are using a ton of pre snap motion. My prediction is that Sark's going to use it even more coming up this season. But after he followed Shanahan, that was one of the things that trying to transition that Atlanta offense from the Shanahan offense, his offense, Dan Quinn insisted, hey, man, I want to keep a lot of the same principles because it works. Remember, they were the best offense in the league that year. Uh, having an MVP and Matt Ryan, so they really wanted to keep the offense as, you know, as, as similar as they could. And with that, I think it was actually a blessing in disguise for uh, Sark because he kind of went down the rabbit hole of studying that offense. And I think he started to siphon some ideas that would forever change his offensive philosophy. And pre-snap motion is one of them. And you go look at the top five or top four teams in the NFL at pre-snap motion rates and shifts. I mean, they're all from the Mick Shanahan coaching tree. And Steve Young, Steve Young does a great job, man. He does a great job of really describing a lot of the – um, the the nuances of this offense and what makes it so uh, unique, and he's he was talking about the motion at one point uh, on Super Bowl Row. And Brock, have his clip ready, please, if you don't mind. And I think it's about thirty seconds, but listen to him describe what the advantages are to using this motion, which uh, really prior to Shanahan teams weren't using it as much. Now he's using shuffle motion. He's using you know using the cheat motion. Because of that, they've decided, you know, they kind of revolutionized the way their offenses are structured based on motions and shifts prior to the snap. Here is Steve Young. He uses motion a lot. And in motion, motion makes a defense speak to you. Yeah. He wants as much information out of you before he snaps the football. He'll do it with formation. He'll do it with different people in different spots. He asks his players... 
Christian McCaffrey, can you line up at receiver? Yes. Yeah. Can you line up in the slot? Yes. Can you line up off the line at tight end? Can you line up in the eye? Can you line? And because of that, he can now, because defenses all go like, where's Christian McCaffrey? Okay. Oh, I got to do certain things when I see that. So he has the defense speak to you yes. and give you as much information as you possibly can get from them before the, before the snap. And what is Brock Purdy's best quality? Taking all that information, give that to me because every inch of that I'm going to make you pay. You, yeah, um, it's it's all about forcing the defense to reveal itself in some way, um, and finding out the rules of the defense so you can violate them. And Sark does it really well too, and he does a lot of it with uh, motions and shifts, and that that's one of the key principles that uh, unites. Uh, these offenses and even Sark's not actually from the McShanahan coaching tree you can almost say that he's a he's a stepchild of it <laughs> I mean like he's uh he's definitely a, he's an admirer of it from afar something else too since we're talking about like the commonalities between these offenses and what's what's been fluent Sark's offense when nobody nobody uses more two tailback sets and more, um, more two, uh, 21 personnel, I should say. 21 personnel, 22 personnel than Kyle Shanahan. I mean, he uses it 40% of the time. He's running two backs out of the backfield. Now, it's not two tailbacks. It's Kyle Juszczyk. He's a fullback, but he's a very unique, unconventional fullback. Uh, so between him and, him and McCaffrey, they're in the backfield 40% of the time out there together. Sometimes it's 21, two backs, one tight end. Sometimes it's 22, two backs, two tight ends. And if you look at... Uh, Sark's, you know, time in Atlanta following him, that was one of his conundrums, right? How do I transition this? Mostly this is a, an offense that runs two backs most of the time, or half the time at least, and I am a spread offense guy, right? I, I run spread offense. I'm a modern spread, a pro spread offense, essentially what Sark was running prior to um, getting there to Atlanta. And I think he his, his spin on – trying to transition it from that two-back offense to his spread offense was the pony package. He started to use Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman instead of a traditional fullback, which Shannon uses. He uses two tailbacks, and it really and it had some success with Atlanta. I mean, they actually made some plays and were able to really, I think, give themselves a little more balance um, in Atlanta with those two tailbacks. Now, We've seen that even at Texas, him use the pony package sparingly. I think he should use it more. You guys know that. Um, but he took a lot of those concepts from his time in Atlanta, trying to transition that offense from that Shanahan offense. And then even with Brennan Marion bringing in the go-go offense, which is a two-tailback offense. It is a West Coast uh, passing game with a triple option run game. That essentially – is something else that Sark added to his pony package. We even saw it this year um, a little bit more. So I, I, I think you're going to see that more with Texas because he likes to play those running backs. It's so successful. It's easily your most explosive, most efficient, and I, your most uh, effective personnel package you've had here at Texas since Sark's been here. I'm not saying that's a direct connection to, to the Shanahan, um, uh, at least the Shanahan influence, but I do think that's where he got the inspiration for it. And he was almost like I said, he was forced to do it because Dan Quinn was like, well, you can't just run your offense. We just have the best offense in the league. I need you to learn some of that Shanahan offense. And I think it may be one of the best things that ever happened to Sark because it really did change his overview of offensive football. Uh, we talked about yesterday condensed and compressed sets. 
Shano loves it, right? Use more condensed and compressed sets than anybody else. That's the, the width of a formation. He's at 19.9 yards, which is the, uh, the, the I guess, the, that is the, 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 in terms of the width of the formation, that is the shortest width of a formation um, of any team in the NFL. He uses a lot of condensed and compressed sets, and so does Sark. Sark loves condensed and compressed sets because, number one, it makes you less predictable. Spread offenses are more predictable. Uh, when you get into a compressed, condensed set, you force the DBs to have to be forced run defenders, and cornerbacks don't want to have to defend the run, but they have to. Um, you make cornerbacks and DBs have to play with outside leverage because there's so much space out there, so you know exactly how they're going to play leverage-wise. Um, and DBs have to play off. Off, right, they have to play off because you can get picked and rubbed because everybody's so bunched in together. So it, it you, you basically get to dictate terms, and that's what he's about. He's about his channel's about dictating terms, and he's about uh, being able, trying to reveal or trying to get information from the defense, gets to reveal uh, their assignments, reveal the rules of the defense so that he can violate them. And Sark does a lot of similar things when he's lining up in those compressed and condensed sets. So those are just like three or four low concepts, but I think it probably goes deeper than that. I mean, Sark has talked about studying Sean McVay's offense and going to L.A. to talk to him, talking to, you know, guys like Matt LaFleur and going, you know, bringing Shano in for coaching clinics to talk to him about his offense. I think it probably goes even deeper. That's just on the surface what I can see. Behind the burn orange curtain, uh, philosophy and football theory with Rod Babers. Good stuff right there talking Texas, uh, what's coming. And you can probably see a lot of it in action on the Super Bowl on Sunday at 530 when the Niners play the Chiefs. Uh, two high-level offensive minds and Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan. And certainly Sark has uh, openly said he borrows where he can and steals where he can. Yeah, uh, if it works, we're going we're gonna to do it at Texas. We'll come back. We'll pick up the What the Facts segment, talk more uh, NFL honors last night in the NFL with all the uh, awards handed out, including MVP. We'll talk about it. Uh, Cowboys have their new defensive coordinator as well, all part of a busy Friday here on Hook'em Up with Ian Rodby. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers. Austin, Texas Sports, The Horn. First hour of our five-hour Friday conversation, getting you into the weekend and Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. We'll recap the NFL honors coming up to, uh, here in a little bit, including the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame class for 2024 announced last night, revealed uh, in Las Vegas. And all week long, Rod, here in What the Facts, I've been giving you some, uh, some picks. The, uh, ten, the, the best Super Bowl bets, if you're going to make prop bets and fun bets this weekend, mm-hmm. in addition to going to underdog fantasy and doing the uh, hires and lowers, you've got to pay attention. We've told you this week that uh, if you look at the numbers, I took, gave you George Kittle over 48.5 receiving yards. We're going to write these down. Patrick Mahomes under 263.5 passing yards, right? Mm-hmm. Going under on that. You have a, a, suggested they take uh, Patrick Mahomes under .5 uh, interceptions, yep. and Brock Purdy over .5 interceptions. I would take that. It's a good bet. It's good value. Which I like a lot. And yesterday I gave you Christian McCaffrey fewer than five receptions. Okay. I think that's going to be under based on, you know, it, it, that's inflated. Uh, it really is. It, it, now he could go over, right, and that's what gambling's about. Uh, you're you're going to win mm-hmm. some, lose some, but you're looking for trends and looking for the statistics. You know, the, the, the fact that it's set at five, I mean, that's, that's way inflated versus what, he, what his uh, regular season and even playoff reception numbers would be. I agree with that. And uh, so I'll give you another one here coming up uh, when we get to uh, our what the facts. But, uh, the, what the facts. Yeah, what the facts, man. How about, uh, how about this one uh, when we're looking at it? 
Uh, how about Brandon Ayuk? I'm going to give you Brandon Ayuk over 62 and a half receiving yards. Um, Higher ooh. than. Oh, you're saying take that. Take it. I think, I think there's going to be such an emphasis on uh, Debo, uh, and I think that's where you're going to see Trent McDuffie, their, their star corner, most of the time. And look, the Brandon Ayuk versus Legereus Sneed matchup might be one of the best in this game. Uh, but they use man coverage a lot, they do. and Brandon Ayuk's a man beater. You've taught me that in the uh, the on the uh, on, on your mm-hmm. rants. Uh, so I think he's good for at least one big one big explosive play. Which if you get one forty fifty yard catch for Brandon Ayuk, well now you only need twelve thirteen more yards to go over. I'm going to take Brandon Ayuk over sixty two and a half receiving yards in this game. Uh, I think he's going to be a focal point because I think they're playing a lot of man. Yeah, and I think he beats man. Uh, and no. I think when 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 Brock Purdy like sees that. man, he looks for Brandon Ayuk. Uh, he should, yeah, because Brandon Ayuk very rarely is going to get the double team between Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel. He'll usually get, you know, you can't roll coverage and you can't the shade coverage to everybody. So yeah, he's the one that usually ends up getting the man-to-man coverage. Will they decide just to put their best coverage defender, best cover guy on? Um, Brandon Ayuk and decide, you know what, we can we can zone up everything else or we can play inside out on Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel because they move around so much. It's almost impossible just to, just to shadow those guys because if you put your best cover guy on Debo, Shannon will just waste him because he'll put him in the backfield and start moving that guy around, violating the, 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 the structure of your defense. And you don't want that either. But Brandon Ayuk doesn't move around as much. So it's easier just to game plan and put your guy out there. But usually that just means he's getting man-to-man coverage. He's getting that. You're right. If he gets that man-to-man coverage, he's been doing a great job being it with inside breaking routes too this year. Well, and when you see that Brock Purdy leads the NFL and in, in throws down the field mm-hmm. this year, yeah. a lot of times it's to Brandon Ayuk. A lot of times it is to him because so much of what Debo and Christian McCaffrey and oh, Kittle yeah. do are underneath. Yep. And Ayuk's the guy that's always pushing the ball down the field. And when they get the coverage they like, uh, Brock is not uh, – Brock Purdy is not hesitant to throw it uh, to his uh, his number two receiver. How about this one too, Rod? What do, what do you make of Travis Kelsey over .5 touchdowns? Is, is Travis Kelsey going to score a touchdown in this game? The odds would be yeah, better yeah. yes. Yeah, I would say yes. I would say <laughs> yes. I would say yes. Because I'm thinking about – All he's got to do is score one and you win. Well, because when they get in the red zone, that's Travis Kelsey time. That's just about him and, him and Patrick Mahomes and their chemistry. So I'm like, uh, yeah, I'll take that all day, every day. And his boo is showing up. Yeah, his boo is going to be there from Japan. His boo thing. And I keep wondering, like, why they don't just double and triple team Kelsey too, but they don't. They still – Steve still want to play him straight up sometimes or zone it up, and I just cannot understand. I would be double and triple teaming that dude, man, especially on crucial All, downs. Yeah, third down, goal oh, line, red man. zone. You got to throw to somebody else. But I would say Rasheed Rice will go over those numbers later. He's been balling out. He's scary, Mr. too. Mr. SMU, yeah. Yeah, he's been scary lately. Also, another one I'm, I'm dabbling in is Patrick Mahomes over four-and-a-half rushing attempts, like taking off and running. I think, yeah, I, think, I say, yeah. I think that's, I say that's five safe or too. more, right? I say that's pretty safe because in the postseason he runs a lot more. Then he runs in the regular season. It's all to, it, yeah, Baltimore. A lot more. It's all to keep the chains moving. Yeah, he runs. A, yeah, it's a great point. Just to convert, he runs a lot more. You give him green grass, he will take it in the postseason. He just got wants. He wants first downs. That's well, all remember, he wants. Remember last year in this Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes had a bad ankle. Remember he got hurt against Jacksonville. And still ran and still ran. Still ran and still balled out. I mean, yeah. that, this is a healthy Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Last year when he got rolled up on against Jacksonville oh, in the yeah. early in the playoffs, it was. I mean, could he play through it? He was running around on one foot last year right. and still won the MVP. Yeah, uh, this year he's healthy. That makes him. So tough to defend. Yes, it does. You, you defend all the weapons and uh, all the concepts with Andy Reid comes out, throws out there, and then uh, then uh, when the play breaks down, you just got to worry about this dude just taking off and taking seven yards. Yep. This is like, and, and more importantly than the seven yards, getting a fresh set of downs, and yeah. then you got to defend three more. Oh man, 
It's brutal. Yeah, yeah. that guy is. Uh, I'm going to take over. So those, those are my picks for the I week. I like that. Yeah, I like the rushing. I'm with you on that because uh, he's man. He in the playoffs, he has so many iconic rushes already. Um, just to kind of keep keep the drive alive. All right. Um, so let, here's a factoid for you, Josh Gordon. Remember that dude? I do. Josh Gordon, actually, my high school. Josh Gordon is a is a uh, is a Houston uh, Lamar guy. So shout out to Josh Gordon. But he's the only man to catch a touchdown from both Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. Oh, yeah. He can say that, you know, he caught touchdowns from the two goats potentially one day. I did not that? know that. He's the only man. See, only that's why I love what the facts, because yeah. I learn things. And that's what you should learn something every day, right? Only human in history. That's beautiful. Where is Josh Gordon these days? I have no idea. I hope he's doing okay. <laughs> I hope he's doing all right. That's what I hope. But, all right. Uh, we, we mentioned in, uh, in, in the headlines and certainly throughout the day, the Houston Texans have their first ever Hall of Famer now. Andre Johnson going to the Hall of Fame. Uh, props to him. Longhorns have another one going in and Mongo McMichael. But uh, I mentioned the, the voting rod for the coach of the year. And this is, you know, if you're, if you're D'Amico Ryans and you're a Texans fan, like Lamar Jackson got 49 of the 50 first place votes for MVP. So it was pretty He's much unanimous. Yeah. Pretty much unanimous. Uh, but the closest vote, without a doubt, was the Coach of the Year award last night. Kevin Stefanski, and the, both he and D'Amico Ryans ended up with 165 points. But what separated it is one first-place vote. Kevin Stefanski got 21 first-place votes. D'Amico Ryans got 20. D'Amico got 21 second-place votes to Kevin Stefanski's 18, but it could not have been closer. Uh, it's almost like a co-coach of the year award, 165 points each. They probably should have given it. They should have done a co-coach uh, of the year. 100%. They probably could have done that, man. Come on, man. I, say, I, I still think D'Amico Ryans deserved it because as a rookie head coach with a rookie quarterback, you win a division and go to the playoffs. Still think he deserved it. But I get why Kevin Stefanski got it, no doubt. They were both deserving. They were both deserving. Yeah, and Joe, Joe Flacco won Comeback Player of the Year pretty close to DeMar, DeMar Hamlin. Hamlin. That was actually probably the biggest surprise. Yeah, 151 to 140 points. Yeah. Baker Mayfield down at 93. DeMar Hamlin got 21 first-place votes. Joe Flacco won it because he got 26 second-place votes, and DeMar Hamlin only got seven. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, come on, man. DeMar Hamlin came back from death. Come on. That's why everybody thought it was a no-brainer. Like he came, beat, came I mean, back from death. I know death. Joe Flacco came back from his mom's couch, but. Hey, hey man. That's it. That's the biggest shocker right there. People lost some money on that one. A lot of people that definitely had DeMar Hamlin. All right. We'll run down season. all of the NFL awards and honors coming up here in our headlines. Also, uh, sometimes when they have Radio Row at the Super Bowl, Rod, mm-hmm. you get some good interviews. You get some good nuggets. A lot of it's just fluff and. Advertising, but we got some good ones. Emmett Smith. Uh oh. Emmett Smith weighing in on the issues of Dak Prescott in January. Oh no. Oh yeah. Uh oh. The uh, don't upset Jerry now, Emmett. Well, we'll let you hear from Emmett Smith coming up. Also, Rod will have a rant. Also, we'll go bullish or BS. We've got uh, plenty to do. It took him up on a Friday, Rod. What does that make it? That makes it a freak flag. Feel good. Fake it till you make it. Ric Flair. Woo! Football Friday edition. I hook him up with Eden Robbie.